Well, good morning, church. It's great to be back with you. We, uh, we just got back uh, Wednesday night from a vacation. We were out west and uh, saw some really great things uh, out in the mountains, and it was beautiful. Thank you uh, for uh, being patient with us, and uh, I hope that your summer is going well. We, uh, we took the kids out, had a great time, and, and now we're back this morning, uh, ready to be with you. I was uh, reading the newspaper the other day, and in our local newspaper, we happen to have a, a living section in there. And in the living section, there's all sorts of things. Uh, there's the movies that are out right now. And in one of the sections, uh, it has like top movie rentals in the United States this week, right? And uh, so I begin to look through the top five movie rentals. Uh, seeing if there's anything that I need to go to Redbox or Netflix or Amazon or, or whatever uh, avenue you choose to go and, and get your newest rental. And, and, and number three spot this last week was Power Rangers. Now, you may not know what Power Rangers are. It was a very popular t- television show, uh, early 90s-ish. And, uh, and anybody who loves superheroes uh, found that, that, that Power Rangers was a show that they enjoyed. There were five Power Rangers of various colors, and, and, and they were really built around fighting evil and saving the world. And there was a phrase that they used in the show. There was a phrase that, that told you it was time for them to transform. It was time for them to... Uh, to go and save the world. Some of you already know the phrase. You know it? For those of you that don't, here it is. It's morphin' time. Right? Some of you are smiling because you know the phrase. Some of you wish that you had worn your Power Ranger suit this morning. It's morphin' time. In other words, it's time to transform. It's time to get ready. It's time to change. This morning, we are celebrating transformation. Uh, We've been in this series now uh, for the last five weeks called Assets. uh, It's just these values that we have as a church that tell you who we are. Uh, There's been six of them. We began at at God and His Word, and we just said, hey, look, uh, this is core to who we are. Uh, This isn't just a word from men. This is a word from God, and we want to live by this Word that He has given to us. Uh, We we started the next week, and we said, hey, we have to love everybody. We have to love each other in this room. We have to love everybody outside of this room. We have to love our enemies. The next week we came and we just simply said, hey, it's good times. It's time to, uh, to celebrate good times, that we like having fun together, and that we need to have fun in the right way. So whatever we're going to do, we need to give glory to God in how we have fun. I mean, we even had confetti and bubbles. Uh, we took a survey together and we had some fun in this room on that day uh, because we enjoy doing that. A couple weeks ago, you heard uh, Dr. Andrew Wood come and share about uh, this need, this value that we have here at Whiting Christian Church about uh, about sharing in community together, uh, that we need to get to know each other, that we need to lift each other up. 
uh, that we have an opportunity as a, as a church uh, really to, to, to make our lives better, that we can live in community with one another. Now, last week, you heard from Jed that, that when we come, we need to worship fully uh, the God of the universe, the one who created us. And this morning, I just want to put very center stage, uh, maybe the, the value uh, that where all the other values point is this idea uh, that we need to be willing and ready to celebrate transformation. And when we're going to look in the Word and we're going to find that early on in the infancy of the church, the church was celebrating transformation. Uh, that part of the, the sharing of this news about Jesus came as people were willing to open up their own lives and share about transformation. You see, there's this guy named Paul. Uh, maybe some of you have heard of him. And, and in the book of Acts, um, there's three occasions when, when we hear about this conversion, this transformation that takes place in Paul's life. I mean, it begins in chapter 9, it goes on to chapter 22, and then finally again in chapter 26, uh, we hear again and again and again about this transformation of Paul and his life. And we're going to look at those occurrences this morning. We're just going to look at that and say, what is it that Scripture has to say about celebrating transformation, and how is it that we make that a part of who we are today? So we're going to look at Scripture and we're going to look at our own church and see some lives here. Today, uh, we're going to watch and we're going to listen as we recognize that transformation isn't just something that happened a thousand years ago in the Bible and the early uh, pages of Scripture. We're going to see that it happens right here. We're going to see that it happens right now, today, in the 21st century. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity because it's morphin' time. It's time to transform. It's time for us to celebrate transformation. In the book of Acts, there's this guy named Saul. Later on, God's going to change his name to, to Paul. In, in fact, in chapter 7 of Acts, there's this guy named Stephen, and he gives this really amazing sermon. I mean, he begins to tell people from the very beginning uh, almost to the point that he is right then about all of God's plan. And, and he, he preached so effectively that at the end of the sermon, everybody's ready to stone him. So I will know of the effectiveness of this sermon this morning. I know that there's some vegetables out there on the table. I'll consider it a great success. And so Stephen, he's stoned, but there's a guy uh, there giving approval to Stephen's stoning, meaning they put Stephen to death, and that guy's name was Saul. And we pick up in chapter 9, and there's this guy, and his name is Saul, and he's on his way to persecute more Christians, and, and God gets a hold of him. He shows up in a grand light and a grand vision on his way to Damascus. And he says, hey, you're persecuting me. Why are you doing this? And this whole process of Paul's transformation begins there. 
And then when he finds himself in trouble in Jerusalem in chapter 22, he recounts this. He says, hey, I want you to know about the transformation in my life uh, so that you can understand the kind of transformation that God wants for your life. And it wasn't just for those people in Jerusalem. He again finds himself in chapter 26, and he's surrounded by real officials. These are government officials, and they have the power to kill Paul. And Paul once again says, hey, I want you to listen uh, to this life-transforming story that happened to me, and it can happen to you. So if you want to join me as I invite you, grab a Bible if you don't have one. Uh, There should be one in front of you. Page 779, Acts 26. Page 779. See, the celebration of transformation is something that was done by the early church. It was something that, that Paul used as a part of, uh, of talking about this, this wonderful good news of Jesus. I'm going to begin in verse 3. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the very beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, and they can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strict, strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. He kept all the rules, okay? And now it's because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial right now, today. This is the promise of our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. Oh, King, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme in my in my obsession against them, I even put foreign cities, I went to foreign cities to persecute them. And on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief, chief priests. And about noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And then I ask, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. 
Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And I am sending them to open the, I am sending you to open their eyes and turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Uh, Paul recounts before great officials who had the power to kill him. He says, I just simply want to put in front of you, I want to put front and center this. The story of my own transformation. And this story of transformation simply reminds us. It's this tremendous reminder to us that there is no rebellion so great. There is no falling off the wagon so far. There is no going off the beaten path so much. That God's grace cannot transform us. The story of transformation of Paul and throughout the Bible is that that God's grace can reach us where we are no matter where that place might be. If you recognize in verse 9-11, through he said, "Hey, hey look, I used to oppose God. Did you catch it? He says, I was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did. And on the authority of the chief priests, I put saints in prison. And when they were put to death, he says, I cast my vote against them. Look, this was real life. Paul was actually uh, giving his order to make sure that other people were killed. All of us in this room needed at some point for God to initiate contact with us uh, so that we could know transformation. You see, God's grace works in that manner. He he has done it from the very beginning uh, up until now. Uh, If you look all the way back in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve were there and they sinned by eating of the apple, Even though God had told them not to. I know that He sets them outside of the garden, but almost immediately He begins to provide for them. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, we see that all of humanity is, is gone evil, and yet God notices Noah and He reaches down and He initiates contact with Noah so that men might be saved. He begins this process of initiation so that there might be transformation. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, uh, we recognize that there's this guy named Abraham, and God says, I'm going to initiate contact uh, with this man named Abram. I'm going to change his name to Abraham, and I am going to initiate this relationship with him. Later on in Scripture, we recognize that God does the same thing with people by the names of Moses and David. And after David, when the nation of Israel begins to fall apart because uh, once again they've, they've fallen off the wagon and they've rebelled against God, God once again comes back again. And He comes with the prophets with the message to return to Him. 
And he initiates the contact with them again so that they might understand that there's an opportunity to celebrate transformation. And then, of course, he sends Jesus, his one and only Son, who would be God in the flesh, to come down. And he initiates contact with mankind as a man uh, so that we might celebrate transformation. And then when Jesus left, he still left his word and the prophets And here we are this morning. And he's initiating contact yet again through his word so that we might understand that we, none of us, have fallen off the wagon so far. None of us have rebelled so much that God's grace cannot transform us. And it's not just simply that God's grace is able to reach us wherever we happen to be. You see, transformation is not achieved, but it is received. You see, there's two options when it comes to transformation. Some of us will decide that we will achieve transformation. And some of us will decide that we will receive transformation. For those of you that would like to achieve transformation, you might come uh, with a list before God. Uh, God, I have a pretty good resume. I mean, I grew up, and maybe you grew up in the church, and maybe you've been to church a long time. Uh, Maybe you do really good things. Maybe you serve regularly. Maybe you give. Maybe there's a whole list of things that you could provide for God and say, look, God, I, I have achieved, and now you need to give me transformation. What we recognize in the text is that Transformation isn't achievable. It's only receivable. If you look in the text in verse 13, he says, About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. God had initiated contact. But if you look in verse 16, he says, Get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul didn't do this on his own. The only way that Paul was able to receive transformation was not in his list of good things. It was only because he was willing to receive the transformation that comes from God. We don't achieve transformation, folks. But we do receive it. This last week, I picked up a book that I hadn't read in quite a while. It's a master storyteller. He tells the story of of five sons... And there's a father of the five sons, and the father had told the sons, hey, I don't want you to go anywhere near the river. If you go near the river, if you try and touch the river, if you try and conquer the river, the the river will conquer you. You'll be swept downstream, and you won't be able to come back. So four of the five sons just couldn't stay away from the river. The lure of the river was just too much. And they thought, surely we can go to the river. We can conquer it. We can uh, 
We can touch it. But the moment that one of them went into the river, they tried to grasp onto all the others, and all of them were swept down. Uh, further than they could possibly imagine, uh, further than it was going to be able for them uh, to work their way back. And one of the sons, one of the sons begins to say, I know, I'm going to achieve, I'm going to achieve transformation. I'm going to achieve being able to go back to the Father. He writes this, The Father won't come for me. I must go to Him. I've offended Him. I've insulted Him. I've failed Him. There's only one option. I will build a path back up the river and walk into the Father's presence. I will take rock upon rock and I will stack until I have enough rocks to travel upstream. And when He sees, when my Father sees how hard I have worked and how diligent I have been, He will have no choice but to open the door and let me into His house. The older brother comes as the father sends him. And he comes to the son who was trying to, to stack the rocks in the river to, to go upstream to achieve his father's house. The brother comes and he interrupts and he says this, the brother, still working, never looks up. I can't talk now. I have to work. The older brother says, Father knows that you have fallen, and he will forgive you. He may, the brother interrupted, struggling to keep his balance against the current. But I have to get to the castle first. I have to build the pathway up the river First I will show him that I am worthy. Then I will ask for mercy. He has already given his mercy. I will carry you up the river. You're never going to be able to build a pathway all the way up the river. The river is too long. The task is too great for your hands. Father has sent me to carry you home. I am stronger and I can do it for you. The rock stacker for the first time, looked up. Why do you speak with such a reverence? My Father will not simply forgive me. I have sinned. I have sinned greatly. He told us to avoid the river, and I disobeyed. I am a great sinner. I need much work. No, my brother. You don't need much work. You need much grace. The distance between you and our Father's house is too great. You haven't enough strength nor enough stones to build the road. That is why our Father sent me. He wants me to carry you home. Are you saying I can't do it? Are you saying I'm not strong enough? Look at my work. Look at my rocks. Already I can walk five steps. But He says... You have five million to go. You see, in celebrating transformation, we recognize that we haven't fallen so far that God's grace uh, cannot reach us, but we also recognize uh, that this transformation by us is not achievable. The same one who is going to celebrate transformation over and over again in the early church is going to write in another letter in the book of Ephesians, 
And Paul himself is going to say of this transformation that God does, he's going to say, for it is by God's grace that you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of not God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, this transformation is by grace when you receive it. It's not a reward of our work. Scripture is complete with story after story of those who were transformed by God from the inside to the outside. But I don't want to leave transformation on the pages of Scripture only as if that were something that happened 10,000 years ago. I want you to hear the stories of those who have been transformed in this church. Some of them you know, and some of them you don't. And so I want you to hear from them so that you can celebrate transformation. Take a look. Um, so when I think about my own personal transformation, I think of two specific things. Um, growing up for me, I was in the Bible Belt and church was just something that everyone did. It was kind of expected of you to show up to church on Sunday mornings. Uh, it's just part of your day, like going to school. And so for me, I loved church because I had friends there. You know, I got to see people that I didn't get to see otherwise because they went to other schools. I was homeschooled for quite a while. And so when I became a Christian, um, church had a different meaning for me. Um, for the first time, I wanted to go because I wanted to learn about God. Uh, a lot of times I would try to open my Bible and I'd be like, what does this even mean? <laughs> and so um, once I became a Christian, that just all changed for me. Um, going to church on Sunday mornings became an opportunity for me to learn more about my God and uh, to get to learn ways to serve Him. And so church stopped being just a social place and a hangout and it became a place for me to get closer to my God. Um, and then the second thing that really stood out to me is before I was a Christian, I struggled with my self-worth a lot. Um, I wondered if I was smart enough, if I was pretty enough. I'm not athletic. There's nothing that I was really, really great at. Um, and so that got me down a lot. Um, but when I became a Christian, I realized, you know, I'm not worthy and I never will be, but my God loves me in spite of that. You know, like. He loves me with all my flaws, not even what I'm not good at, but everything that I do wrong, He still loves me. And um, through that, in His love, He gives me worth. And so by becoming a Christian, I learned that, you know, I'm not worthy, but Christ makes me worthy, which kind of doesn't make sense, but I love it. God loves me in spite of all of my flaws, and He gives me a purpose, and that's something I didn't have before. So uh, about six years ago, I was uh, in a motorcycle club called the Gypsies in Austin, Texas. I, um, you know, I, I was like the next guy. I just couldn't figure out what was missing in my life. You know, I, I tried uh, alcohol and, and different things, and, and I just I couldn't fill that, that void. And, and at the time, I was working as an uh, IT manager for a company called Touch International. Um, uh, one of the one of the days that I was having trouble was a New Year's Eve. I remember waking up one morning and looking out the window 
and uh, seeing a bag hanging off my mirror for my motorcycle. It was my only form of transportation at the time. And um, I go down to, to see what it is, and it's a full order of food, drink and everything, with a receipt that had my name on it, and I had no recollection of getting anything the night before. So I knew there was, there was something that needed to change in my life. So um, I, uh, I started to, to reach out, you know, look, look for different things that I could, that I could do to fill the void. And, and uh, during that time, I had a conflict with my, the, my supervisor, the CEO of the company. And uh, with a brief statement that he said about, you know, questioning my, my, uh, my intelligence, I decided to leave the company because, you know, I was like, I don't have to take that from, from somebody. So uh, I got a call uh, about two weeks later from uh, uh, Michael Wolstrom, who was the CEO of the company. And, uh, and I answered, he's like, uh, this is Michael Wolstrom, CEO of Touch International. You know who I am? And I said, yeah, you know, I, I know who you are. I said, well, um, uh, it's been uh, brought to my attention that, that uh, something I said may have offended you, and, and I would like to ask for your forgiveness. And um, I, I, I'm not accustomed to that, so I, I had no idea what to do. And, and to make a long story short, I, I, I went back to work. I started having conversations with him. And um, it's real funny. He invited me to his uh, life application class, which is Bible study. And, uh, and, of course, it was at the church. So I started attending his Bible study and, and uh, just lots and lots and lots of questions. And, and he gave me a book to read, Purpose Driven Life, by Rick Warren. And uh, I read through just about half of it. And then finally, I had made the decision to get saved. And um, it's real funny because when I made that decision, um, people came to church that would never step foot in a church. I had half of the gypsy MC there for my chapter um, on one side of the church, a bunch of bikers. And now on the other side of the church was my church family. So it was, it was a really mixed crowd. And I'm walking uh, uh, around the stage with a microphone telling my story. And, and I didn't know that you were supposed to give a testimony of like how you came to meet uh, or how you came to make the decision of being saved. Um, but I was doing it anyway. So I just felt led to, to share and I got baptized. And that was on an Easter Sunday, which was pretty awesome. To this day, uh, Michael and I, we traveled all over the world, uh, you know, went to Singapore and Thailand, and uh, we share that story, and, and he always leads off by, um, uh, I remember it differently, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you do, you honestly do. Um, you never know how you're going to affect the person sitting next to you or the person you smile at walking down the sidewalk. You never know how you're going to affect their lives by, by doing a grudge or, or smile or just saying hello. You know, a simple hello could change someone's entire day. So anyways, we call that the ripple effect. You know, it's, um, you start off with something small like a wave or a smile or a hello, and it turns into something big like someone like me getting saved. Real, real quick, going back to Rick Warren and Purpose Driven Life, after I got saved, I, I reread that book, and it gave me goosebumps. Uh, a definite change had been made within me uh, as far as understanding what it means to be a child of God. My husband, he was a good, good man. I loved him, I still love him. He's been gone 35 years. And uh, I still love him and I know he's up there having a blast with all my sisters <laughs> and I'm here by myself. <sighs> Ticks me off. <laughs> but anyway, um, he was raised in a denominational church, which teaches the deity of Christ and had good teachings. But I was raised thinking 
that the New Testament church is what you should follow as nearly as you can because how could the apostles be wrong when they actually lived with Jesus and learned with him and they lived with each other and learned with each other. So, but I never did say anything to him and I said to him, before we were married, I said, now you have to promise me you'll go to church with me and he promised but he didn't. Hmm. And actually, he'd go occasionally, but when he actually started was when my joy, boy George uh, was 10, and he said, Mama, I don't want to go to church with you. I want to stay home with Daddy. And his dad knew he needed to go to church and learn about Jesus, even though he didn't go. He already knew, and he, didn't, and he wanted George to have that. So he started going to church with us. <clears throat> and actually... I think the people in the church just loved him into Christ. We had one old lady whose name was, I'm probably older than she is, was, was Carrie Blackwell, and she grabbed him by the arm one day and she said, Arnold, if you don't go down there one of these Sundays, I'm going to drag you down to confess and be baptized. But eventually, when he was 33, let's see, we, we, he was 21 when we got married, so that would be, what, 12 years. We're married 12 years. And, and I could see the Holy Spirit working in him. Isn't that strange to say that? Mm. But one Easter, we went to, always went to church. We went to the pre-dawn service, and we went to the morning service, and we went to Sunday school, and... Since it was Easter and we'd already had church twice, we didn't have a Sunday night church. So we went for a ride while the, after the kids went to bed, or at least were resting. And I could just see in the things he was saying that his heart was being touched by the teachings of the church. And so it wasn't too long till... He went forward. I didn't know he was going to. He didn't tell me that, but he, but he did. And we almost cheered in the church, the people who were there. We probably had maybe 90 people who came every Sunday. And he was baptized, and he was so big, and Stan Jones was so little that Arnold had to get on his knees to be immersed because Stan didn't think he could pick him up. <laughs> after he got him in the water. So anyway, and he has just had just grown since then. And don't ever let anybody tell you that being in the Word on a daily basis won't make you grow because my mom went to the nursing home and she always went to church. So we started a church at the nursing home. And we went every Sunday and he felt so inadequate that he'd get up every morning at four o'clock and study the lesson every day. Sit in the kitchen, study the lesson. On Saturday, because I was working full-time also, when I had a job to do to clean up my house, he was in my way. Because Saturday morning, he'd rip that up and say, oh, that's not good enough. And he'd go through it all again. And I'm telling you, he you could see the change in him which is awesome because how do you make a good person realize they need the Lord? Mm. But he knew that. And um, 
It just grew and grew. It was just amazing to me. Church, this is who we are. We are here to celebrate stories of transformation like this by the dozens. And it's not a transformation that takes place by mere compliance of some list of external rules. No, the transformation that's taking place in these lives and your lives is the kind of transformation that only takes place with the Spirit of God living inside of you because you have this level of conviction that you've been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so I want to tell some of you, hey, it's morphin time. It is time right now. And I want to make the invitation to you, hey, look, Now's as good a time as any. Well, let's begin today to celebrate what is going to happen in the future at Whiting Christian Church as people become transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to the kind of transforming power that these people have experienced, that was experienced by Paul of the New Testament. I want to ask you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That He came from heaven to earth, uh, that He might be here with you and I so that we might know transformation. That you would confess, like, God, I want to receive You and I have nothing to offer You. I have regularly rebelled against You. I have so many insecurities. It's, it's unimaginable. But if Your grace is still good, I'm... I'm willing that you turn and you would repent and you would find yourself at the foot of Jesus and that you would submit to baptism in a moment that He will change your life forever and receive the Holy Spirit. That your life now will be run by the conviction of who God is forevermore. Not that you'll live in perfection but that you'll live with this constant desire and conviction to live the transformed life. Church, that's who we are. That's what we value. And I will make you the promise that every morning that I have an opportunity to preach, and every time Josh has an opportunity to take the stage and sing a set of songs, Every time we set up discipleship groups, every time there's a small group, every time there's a meeting or an event, every time that Jed has a, a student ministry opportunity in this room or outside of these walls, every time that Brenda comes in and has children's programming, we are going to make sure that we are a church aiming at celebrating transformation, and we want you to be a part of it. So this morning, it's morphin' time. Let's do this. Let's celebrate transformation together. Let's pray. God, I pray. I pray for all those in the room that have celebrated that we will celebrate time and time again what you have done for us. Father, I pray that you will constantly be making us a church that's celebrating transformation, 
that we will go back to the words of Scripture and we will recognize what it is that you're doing by your grace. And I pray, Father, that that would not just be for us, that that would be for everybody and that we would be a church that's constantly reaching out to try and say, hey, I recognize what can change. And Father, I pray that that's not by our power, but that's by your power. And I pray for all those in the room that they will say today is the day. If they haven't already, I pray today is the day that they'll say, today I want to celebrate my transformation. Lord, I pray for this room and these people, for our community, for our county, for our state, for our world, that you will begin to transform. And that at Whiting Christian Church, we can celebrate it and repeat it again and again. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the kind of transformation you've done in us. Thank you for transforming us. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.